Welcome to the Fatty Z Muskie Podcast. I'm Andy. Joining the phone, I got Vance. Hi, Vance. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are you? I'm good. Good? Just got off the water. I know. Yeah, that the uh, yeah people aren't going to realize what time it is. We're recording oh, yeah. this at like 10.10 Wednesday yeah. night, so um, we're going to have a little fun with this. But you, So you just got off the water? Long day, mm-hmm. or did you break the day up? Oh, no, long day. You know, I had a full day in the morning, uh, and then I we're doing those half days, you know, from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m., and we're going to do that throughout the uh, the remainder of the summer, um, and it lends to uh, really good times in the water. I always say it's my favorite time in the water. The lake kind of settles down. Um, the wind dies down. You can really concentrate on your casts, and uh, we had a successful night casting. Got a really nice one on the Raptor. Um, and some other tiny ones too, but, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. Perfect. That's always been my favorite was, uh, that last hour or so, just because, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really like the sun. I mean, I understand it's necessary for life, but, um, I just don't like being sunburnt. And you uh, like the last day, the last light of 55 degrees, which is generally like 4 PM at that time of year. Oh my gosh, that's great because then you can still make it home for dinner. That is nice in the fall, you know, the the short day, you know when it ends, you know. It's just kind of like hunting too, you know. You get in the in the woods and you know that it's coming to an end. And it's generally the best time. And and you're not exhausted. And you're not exhausted, yes. And you're just like, okay, the day's done. It's 5:30. Time for me to drive home. Hey, look at that. I can still eat dinner at a respectable hour. I can mm-hmm. still go to bed reasonably. Mm-hmm. Unlike where we're, well, let's fire up this show. It's 10 p.m. Yeehaw. Yeah, no problem. You know, be go and launch the boat at 7, fish till 9.45, do a podcast, you know. No big deal. That's right. Crushing I wouldn't it. have it any other way. This is a great, a great life. Great life and uh walking out to the pole barn tonight i've uh I'd say officially started what I consider to be the second phase of summer or i my I guess I need to use the term summer very loosely in that like between winter and fall that's like my summer, and uh the lightning bugs were full full tilt to me yeah you go through you go through like peepers and something like that peepers, lightning bugs, and crickets. Yes. And uh yeah. we started the uh the lightning bugs here. I saw a couple a few weeks ago, but it's like lit up outside now. So it's really cool. Um I do really enjoy those last, you know, 3 hours of daylight just because that sun's getting low. There hasn't been a lot of cloud cover, which I drives me insane, but um just everything like it, like it calms down. And then you'd be like, oh, this is why people like summer for this three hours out of a 24-hour day. You know, I think that it's really not even summer yet. I think it's like, come, like I think the first day of summer is like uh, Father's yeah. Day or something. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Technically from the, the calendar over there. But yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah, when it's in the low 90s last week. It's summer. Mm-hmm. That was horrible. It was horrible. But like the last couple years, August, which is typically the month that I hate the most, has been relatively mild. And September has just been an absolute nightmare. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. We're going we're gonna to obviously see. I'm not predicting that far out. But all right. So we're, we're mumbling on here. Uh, yeah, we are. Anyways, this show is brought to you by... Fatty Z Musky products, fattyzmusky.com. We're on Facebook and we're on Instagram. The baits, I'm uh, going to be painting up some more baits for Musky Tackle online, so check there. His stock is probably getting low since he placed a uh, an order here a couple weeks ago, as I was talking about. I got some of those baits done. I still have a lot more to go. Hogan's Hut, it's a brick-and-mortar store on Chautauqua Lake. That place is probably out by now, Vance, you think? Um, they have one bait left. 
All right, so um, they have one bait left. Uh, I'm going to try my best to get them more here very soon, but I'm doing the best I can. Uh, Team Rhino Outdoors should also have some baits. He had a bunch of collars last time, so should. Check those places out. And let's see, rod holders. Those things have just been going bananas the last couple weeks, which um, is good. It's real good. It's been keeping me real busy. If anyone saw the the post a couple weeks ago um, about the aluminum machined down east, the the clamshell drop-in, I'm hoping to have them here in the next few weeks, maybe in the month. We're going to see how things go when we um, get machine time. So we're working on those. And let's see what else. I I'm... I have to apologize if anyone wanted to see those new improved actual down east salties. I still have yet to put up that post, um, <laughs> but I have them. I, I will make that post. I promise. But um, I, I apologize. So, anyways, that's enough for me. Muddy Creek, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, mcfishandguides.com. Uh, get a hold of us. We're doing five to nine charters uh, throughout the season. Uh, like I said, um, pretty much both of us are booked up right now. Um, I think I have one day in August I can do. I think it's August 24th. Um, but uh, other than that, those five to nines, if you come up, you do a couple of them in a row. Um, you know, we'll charge you just a single day rate. Um, but if you do do a five to nine, it's, it's the half day rate. Um, and we'll be doing that all the way through August. Uh, so it's a fun time. Um, the bite has been very decent, uh, and, um, you know, it's been good. So if you, if you want to get out, get a hold of us, uh, we got some fall, fall avail- availability as well. Um, I think I have about like six days I can do in October. Todd has a handful as well. Um, just give us a call if you know when you're coming up and, uh, we'll get you out there and, uh, have a fun and educational day on the water. Decent, right? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. I'll hit these other ones real quick. Do it. When you fish with us, you'll be fishing with St. Croix rods, best rods on earth. Shout out to them. We had a cool podcast about three ago. Uh, it was all about St. Croix rods. Um, I haven't broken any this year. Not worried if I do great customer service, uh, very sturdy rod, uh, really enjoying the trolling ones, casting ones. Fantastic. Um, Ranger boats, shout out to them for sponsoring Muddy Creek in this show. Um, they do a lot for us. Uh, I think they're the best boats on the market for what we do. Uh, especially guiding that 1880 is popping up everywhere. Um, and it's for good reason, good price point and the fishability of it. Uh, we love the angler series. Um, and if you need any ranger needs, go to, uh, Vic sports center in Kent, Ohio, uh, shout out to them for sponsoring us, um, service boats, Starcraft, Starwells, Rangers, Tritons used inventory service, uh, check them out as well. Um, and that is it for me plugs. All right. Every musky, musky angler out there. Um, let's see. I'm going to kind of give stuff away here. This show, we're going to kind of start a, a hopefully like a little mini series, depending on how much content we actually have. And it's going to be, I'm going to probably just call it bad advice. That's going to be the name of this. And hopefully it's it stems some you know some listener feedback and we might be able to hit on you know several other bad advice things and talk about it and, and do it in a light fun way. We never really tried to be a how to show. Um, there's plenty of that out there. You can go click on anything else you want to hear. We just wanted to keep this a hang, so we're gonna try to make this show as like a bad advice show. But I'm gonna tell you something that's not bad advice, and that's joining Muskie's Inc. You know the local chapters. That's like face-to-face contact kind of stuff that you can see, get your hands on, get out there, get dirty, and 
enjoy the camaraderie of muskie fishing with other like-minded folks. That's your local chapter. But when you start zooming out on the bigger picture and the amount of pool that the muskie industry can generate through a club like Muskie's Inc., it's pretty powerful stuff. So even though you might just be concentrating on your little chapter, you know, you're doing your local tournaments, you're doing banquets and what have you, you are actually helping the greater good. So, you know, we've been saying this for years now. You probably, more than probably, you should be a member of Muskie's Inc. And, you know, go do some tournaments. Go volunteer. Do some other stuff. Help help your local fisheries. You know, whether that's, I don't know, whatever. For us, it's the Fish Commission. It could be the DCNR or whatever. Um, but that's like your foot in the door. It's good stuff. So uh, we encourage everyone that listens to become a member of Muskie's Inc., all right. Did you like that little transition I did about our, our little show that we are going to do? And Well, very well-made points, yes. Okay, because I, I brought up that. Anyways. Yeah, I, I got it. Okay, good. I got it. All right. <laughs> so we, we really didn't prepare for this show. We kind of just, like, literally, I was in the middle of making a rod holder, and uh, we had Vance, I called Vance up, and we were figuring some stuff out. I was getting a rod holder order ready, and... We're like, do you want to just do one now? And we're like, okay. So we didn't really rehearse like what we really want to do with this, but we're going to give it our best shot. We're going to give it our best, yeah. So uh, it should be fun. We're going to find I out. Have some, yeah. I'm going to go first uh, with this bad advice. Here's some bad advice. Okay. When you take your boat out of the water, and you put it on the wench. You need don't don't strap the boat down on the backside and put on your transom saver. So it's on the wench. You don't strap it down on the backside on the transom, but you put the transom saver on. Okay. That's bad advice. Okay, so the the, the advice is not to strap down. That's the bad part. The advice, the bad advice is to wench your boat up. Don't strap it down on the back and put your transom saver on. Okay. Who do you see doing that? Myself. (laughs) (laughs) So, So, okay. (laughs) All right. the The days have been very long, and I don't have a long drive back to my campground and working some shows with Vix. I've seen them just, uh, you know, travel like a hundred miles or so. And they just hook it up to the wench and drive off with it. You know, not your traditional wench straps in the back and then transom saver. It's just wench and that's it. So I was like, Ooh, they do it so I can do it too. No, okay, okay, okay. Before you, before we get any further, I literally don't know where you're going with this as I haven't heard this, but have well, they explained to you this like stow and go mentality of just vroom, sl- yeah. slink, clink, 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 vroom. <laughs> See you later. Yeah, because at these shows, like it's very quick when all these boats are trying to get out. Uh, at the, you know how it is the the hecticness of the last day and you're trying to get out and with, you know, with us, it's carrying totes and stuff like that. But with boats, you have to have an individual truck to pull everyone and you essentially push the boat out. It's, it's hooked up to the wench, but there is no transom saver and no straps at all on these boats and they just drive them back. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, uh, you know, when I, I talked some logic with Victor about it. And I was like, why do you do that? He's like, well, they don't, they're not going to move off the trailer. They're very heavy. And I get that. (laughs) So are trains, but they derail all the time. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I get it. You know, I still, he even like pulls the boat out of the water without it being connected to the, to the crank. So he's Um, relying on the friction of the hull on the carpeted bunks. Yes. And I got to be honest, I've, I've done it many times now, and it does not slide off. I mean, hopefully it doesn't bite me in uh, 
in the future. I just drive it right on, hop off and get in the truck and then strap it down. But um, like I wouldn't do it with an aluminum boat. It's just too light, you know, uh, and especially if you have a large motor on the back um, that's very back heavy. Like my old 205 had that 200 on the back of it. And there was like six inches of draft because the friggin' motor was so big and heavy. But so I, so here's my thought process. I did that. I'm tired. I'm working these like 14 hour days. Sun's terrible. I'm just going to hook it up and drive off. And I really don't care uh, because I'm, I'm going in a short, short mileage and I'm doing it right again in the morning. Well, I started to feel like self-conscious about it. And I was like, I'll put the transom saver on it. And then that'll make me like, feel like I've done something. You actually, because those boat buckles take so much effort to extend clip and two (laughs) clicks of the handle. (laughs) Like, let's skip that. Seconds count now. This is NASCAR. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what I, dude, that's how I feel. Cause like, you know, I got to get in, I got to eat, I got to talk to people, put more people in the books, blah, blah, blah. Answer 20 texts about if I caught them and where the next person <laughs> needs horrible to start memes that I send you. Those are pretty good though. <laughs> but so I put the transom saver on and I'm like, without the boat buckled to the trailer. And I'm thinking, this doesn't make any sense. This is actually worse for my transom if I do it this way. Because now if I hit a bump and if, let's say, the boat does come off the trailer or rises off the trailer on a bump, all that pressure is being put on the transom because it's not strapped down. It's essentially like a kickstand if things are shifting around. Um just kind of prying against your hydraulics and the mounts. On yeah, isn't that, isn't that, t- well, doesn't that make, like, from an engineer standpoint, you know how a boat is. It's connected in the front. There's nothing off the back end holding it down except for this transom saver. Now, you hit a bump, and the only thing keeping it on that trailer is now that, that transom. The... That, Okay, since the transom saver is really only keeping the motor from drifting down and it's still connected to the trailer, you could get some weird hopping um, because now it could just be like like everyone I think that I know has had a sh- – like usually it's like middle school era where your shoe is worn so bad that like the sole's coming off the bottom and it's all floppy in the back. Even though you're My probably – yeah. yeah th- that's kind of like what it is, is like – the trailer is the floppy sole, and then your your shoe, like the actual where your foot is, is like mm-hmm. the boat. And there could there be, yeah, there could be, but I mean, there's a lot of pressure on that transom saver when you trim down. Now that is acting as the boat strap in my mind. Well, it's actually the, trying the to lift buckle. the back end of the boat up. So, man, there's a ton of bad advice. I didn't want to stop you on this in this whole thing, and. The thing is with strapping a boat down, there are some people that are so adamant that this is the way to do it. And other people are like, yeah, I just throw a ratchet strap up and over it and click it a couple times. And, and then you've got some that are like, yeah, I just, I don't even, I don't put the safety chain on my boat. I can tell you that I just use the winch. Um, Mm -hmm. but then you got people like Vic, who's rolling around in 80, $90,000 bass boats that just don't even care. I mean, for lack of a better term, it seems very careless on there. I mean, it, 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 it does. And we, we hold them in high regards, but I just, okay. I went with it and, you know, I, I felt like what I was doing was extremely terrible for the transom. Well, okay. So there's a couple things here that, that need to be said. And I, I don't want to, uh, I want to at least back up a little bit when you were saying that you drive your boat on your trailer and just pull away and rely on, you know, God's grace and friction to keep the boat on the bunks as it's exiting the water and not f- just do a complete keel cracker on the cement. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm going to probably say I got to reverse back a little. That's bad advice. Always tie the bow off. I think it's safe. As long as 
man, there's just so much bad advice on putting boats on trailers. Here's some yeah. bad advice. If someone says the only way to get your boat on a trailer is a pair of waders, that's bad advice. It's very bad advice. It's bad advice because they're, they have bad technique. Okay. So I don't want to get too sidetracked there. And the whole transom saver thing, that's, that's a hot topic at times. Because, you know, for, for me, you know, th- there are other products on the market. And I, I look at those other products that are not transom savers, but they, they more or less wedge the motor. I'm not going to say the brand or the product, but they just wedge just the motor. The I didn't say the word. Um, okay. Those, when I actually sit down and think, I have a hard time seeing how that's going to aid in anything but not other saving than the transom. It's not, I don't, I can't see it saving the transom. I can also, I can agree that it would take some pressure off the hydraulic system of the tilt and trim. I can, I can see that to a point, to a point. Um, I'm not saying those products are bad. There's a lot of people. And, and the thing is, is with that stuff, is if someone says, what do you like better, this brand A or a transom saver? And there's a couple brands of transom saver. I know that is a name brand, but uh, or as Todd calls it, a motor toter. I like transom oh saver better. Um, yeah. Pe- <laughs> people will be like, I've been using brand A for name how many years you want to have run it, and I've never had a problem. Well, fair point. There's been a lot of people that have been running transom savers without a problem. There's people that haven't run them at all. Nothing. And keeping the motor jacked all the way horizontal or straight down and haven't had a problem. So, I don't know. The thing that makes the most sense to me is an actual transom saver. And kind of like what you were going with there, Vance, saying that you put a lot of pressure down on it. I keep mine very light because I don't want the, the, the hydraulic pressure... To, to be trying to force that down in, I let it kind of like make contact and then I just stop. Like I know it's not going anywhere. Is it? Like... There you go. Live demonstration. Yeah. That's about where I go. I mean, it's, it's on there right now, you know, and I've seen guys. I, I, it's not, it's not tight. You know, it's not, it, there's no, there's no way it's tight. Okay. But yes, I've seen people like hammer down. Well, on their so this is an interesting thing is a guy I used to fish with. He has an older Johnson and it was, it, it was a, four, it was a, <laughs> it was an older four cylinder. And when he would put his motor on the transom saver, it would hit and he would keep the button pushed down until those two little cylinders, you know, the little cylinders would yes, retract all the way. Oh I, I never understood that because it makes sense if that system's all in one continuous circuit, that there's three cylinders actually moving with one hydraulic, you know, circuit going through them all. But I just never understood why you would do that. But he would do that. And, um, but, you know, anyways, when you strap the trailer to the boat, I have a, I would say that based off the strength of the straps, you're not really bringing the boat to the trailer, but you're tying the trailer to the boat, if that makes sense. Because... Yes, it does. And at that point, it's just like saying, yeah, if this boat starts hopping, the trailer's coming with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so then... I don't but know. I mean, for, for the boat my, buckles. In my situation, without doing the boat buckles... It wasn't the boat wasn't fully connected to the trailer. Correct. And the bad advice is that I was weary because when I would hit a boat or a bump, the all that pressure would go onto the hydraulics and the transom because I had it connected to the trailer. I think that those boat buckles when they're connected and tightened down. They don't mess with that transom. You know, they don't take the force. Uh, the transom doesn't take the force of the bumps. But if it's just the transom saver connected, I think all your pressure is going there. Yeah, so 
obviously minimizing any separation or movement between the trailer and the boat is a good thing. So yeah, buckling them together. I don't see you breaking the motor off the boat when you're driving. Um, no. Ranger is very proud of their transoms with their pultrusion and all that stuff. So it's probably just fine. Um, I mean, I was just trying to find a way to shave get the 10 hell seconds out of there. off of your yeah. night. I mean, I'm just like, uh, you know, I don't, I do not want to do this right now, you know. But then I was like, I will be a man and put this transom saver on like a respectable boater. And then I was just like, this is actually just making the problem worse. I need to do all the steps. Well, it would be, I mean, if you were, if you were putting some pressure down on it, it would actually try to lift the back of the boat. I don't know if it has the hydraulic pressure to do that, but now you are actually putting in a force that on that transom that wouldn't necessarily be there. If, you know, I mean, how more about, responsible actions were taken. How about this though? There was advice like maybe three years ago or something. We saw it and we laughed our asses off on the internet and dude switches transom savers. And he's like, I know big, huge sponsor from this transom saver. I'm rich. And then, <laughs> <laughs> he freaking goes and does a tournament and his transom blows out. <laughs> it was so funny. We were freaking dying looking at that and we were like, I bet you it was that effing transom saver that did it, you know? I mean, <laughs> it was, it was a funny sponsor. coincidence, but it, I don't think it was <laughs> caused by another product. <laughs> But, I mean, that's what got our minds spinning about these transom saves. And we were like, you know, that doesn't look good for a transom, you know? that. Yes. It, it, oh, man. It was... Yeah. I, I mean, mean, the timing was impeccable. Unbelievable. It was purely coincidental. Post, <laughs> here's, here's my new sponsor, which they probably weren't in all reality. But... And then... You get two weeks later, you get a post like, can't do the tournament. Boats <laughs> fell apart. Motors <laughs> almost in the water. <laughs> you know, we're laughing. I mean, it's sad that, that it happens, but it's one of those things that you have to laugh. If you, your buddy might fall down and get hurt, but you laugh at him. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Oh, geez. But yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> that was amazing. That's my. That's one of my bad advice. Uh, that's fun. I mean, yeah, we're we got to keep this definition loose on this stuff because I kind of came up with one on the fly, like just prior to hit and record on this stuff. And you know, a topic that gets I think a lot of bad advice is um, when people start exploring rivers and, and creeks or whatever you want to call them flowing water and it involves carrying your gear to the edge of the bank and the advice of what net do i take or what landing equipment and a net is thrown in there as something that should be taken i'm going to tell you from my own experience i feel that a net is bad advice bank yanking some might disagree and that's part of the fun of bad advice is that um someone might think it's the best advice in the world other people think it's horrid advice and i think i've done it that's why i think it's bad i remember oh my gosh so back early in my bank yanking days middle 2000s like and we were on what I thought was a hot bite, which was just more or less just go out there and fish. And you usually tied into something. <laughs> so we were grinding on this uh, pattern we put together of just going fishing. And we were losing a lot of fish. So we're like, let's bring the net and we'll, we'll catch them all now. Well, uh-huh. you know, because, you know, you, you'd play them out a little bit. But the, ultimately... Um, to, to land more fish, a single jig hook was not the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, treble hooks yeah. do help. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time we thought it was the net and the miles that I walked carrying a net. If you think how many baits you carry on another person's boat is just 
you, you get it and you look at it and you're like, why did I bring so many? When you could have narrowed it down to like what everyone says, the gospel of six to 12 baits and even 12 is too many. Just take the two you're actually going to use. Um, first off, the net is a horrible thing. Cumbersome. Yes. yes, it's horrible. And so much so that if everyone thinks back, and I, I thought about this, oh my gosh, just like last week out of the blue. Vance, do you remember? It was advertised very hard in Muskie Hunter magazine, but I believe it was called like the net holster. Oh my God. I'm not saying it was a bad idea. It was really cool. I saw him at some shows. It just never I think caught of a on. holster, though, is something that goes around your waist. Draw. Draw. But this Here's thing. Fish and pick it, this thing up. And it, attached, it, it attached to your boat. And it, it puts your net on the outside of the boat securely. Like it stored your net on the outside of the boat. I, okay. ne- I, it, I never really saw it catch on. It was a neat contraption. Um, <laughs> and it was advertised for, I, I don't want to say, half a year maybe in Muskie Hunter. And this might have been in like 2008 or nine or something. I don't even remember. And... I don't know why I thought about that, but that just is like, what else can tell you that this is bad advice to take a net while walking through the woods, the fields, through barbed wire, pricker bushes, hill and dale, than this big 36-inch diameter hoop with netting that will catch on everything. Mm-hmm. And That's terrible. It's terrible. But so to to my point of this net holster... There was a product developed and marketed that realized the net is such a horrible piece of equipment, but at times very necessary, that how can we get it out of our boat, but still have it with the boat? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I see. And, and we've, we talked about that before, and it was after all of this. If it's outside of the boat, you know, it would have to be in the water i would imagine i think it can see some splashing and stuff but it was kind of held half pretty high up on the gunnel mhm okay it, the the nets the, the they're just terrible period uh and in your your situation for bank yanking take a big giant net terrible advice you know yeah. especially in 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 the setting uh that you're you're discussing you know, we're not talking about walking across some community park manicured lawn yes a dam wall or something like that we're talking about we're hiking through the woods to get to this hole to go after the fish here they're enormous they're wider than you uh so you have to choose better terminal tackle uh, that situation. It's such a, I mean, netting a fish in six inches of water with a just brand X musky net is terrible. You'd probably lose the fish, you know? It, it, it's, it sucks. That's, that's all there's I nothing can say. E- there's nothing easy. There's nothing easy about landing a fish from the bank. You know, you slip, you fall. You know, things like that. You go up to your your belly button, waiting for the timer to go off, and as you're sinking, you keep picking yeah. the fish up higher. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's nothing there's nothing easy about landing that fish when you're, even if it's on like a damn wall or something like that. You know, there's just it sucks. They're going crazy. You want to keep them on the line. And they're flip-flopping all around. What generally happens to those fish is they get drug up onto the onto the bank, and then you got to gill them right there with a hook in its mouth, you know. So it's just anything. Uh, okay, uh, along those lines. So when I first started bank yanking, I went to a seminar. And the seminar was winter musky fishing. And I... I'm not even going to say this. I'll, I'll say this after the show because I don't want to give anything away. The, the The person given the seminar, when it was a Q&A time, a question was, how do you land these fish? 
And this is like 15 plus years ago. And the, Great question. Yeah. How do you land the fish? And the advice given. And I'm going to say that this is good advice, but at the same time, this is bad advice. Okay. So here's how it is. Excuse me. How do you land those fish? Well, quite simply, you find a muddy spot and you yank them up on shore. Wow. You reel it and you slide them right up. Yeah, I'm gonna that th- would not blend well in today's musky police, you know. It would not. However, here's where it is. Okay, let's do how that's bad advice. The slime coat, it, all the foreign objects, it makes for a horrible photo. I will tell mm-hmm. you this. It's very efficient to do it that way, especially in a lot of the rivers that I'm in. They have mud banks. And if the mm-hmm. mud bake is like a really low taper going into the water, you can get a fish. I don't care how big the fish is. It could be a 24-incher. It could be a 54-incher. You get it to where half of its tail's out of water, it's now, you, you, you've got it handicapped. It's sure. yours. Yeah. And if you could give it an extra little oomph, you're not trying to drag it up on shore, like completely mm-hmm. dry, but you can get it to where you can get them, get them. Yeah. I and had, even say like off of a dam, you know, those areas where it's rocky and stuff like that, it's usually like slate rock or something that, that, that has been placed there. There's probably algae on them, slippery, you know, that would protect the slime coat. But obviously I'm just trying to play the other side and say that it, it would be safe for the fish. Yeah. Obvi- okay. So when I would go bank yanking, one thing that I always look at when I'm like, I'm going to set up camp here for the next whatever. The thing my eyes start scanning for is if I get a fish, where am I going to? I mean, it's a great, that's a great point. It's a great point for bank yankers to think that it translates into the boat as well. That is a very, very solid point. Where am I going to land this fish? And what am I going to do when one hits? Very solid. Yeah, and I, I mean, one one particular instance comes to mind was I was fishing this one hole. I've never caught a fish in this spot. Uh, I had a I had a friend with me who was still new into the into the musky stuff. It was a hot October day. I remember it was like mid mid to late October. It wasn't quite late. It was middle, at least middle. It was like an eighty or eighty five degree day. It was a scorcher, and. I told him, and, and this this landing was like a legit 8 to 10 feet above above the water. And I'm like, last cast, and I do one of those happy Gilmores, like crazy. Like I have like three foot of line hanging off between the tip and the bait, so I could get a yeah. lot of bait velocity, and it was on my favorite stinger. And I just wind up, and I the just, perch. the perch, I let that thing rip to where I'm almost into backing. And it landed more left on the creek than I wanted. It was more the way that this creek was coming. So where we are standing, we're actually looking straight upstream because the the stream comes at us and right at our feet, it takes a hard right if you're floating down the river. And I wanted to be more on this outside, but I landed more on the inside of the bend. So it's left as I'm looking up. And I'm, I knew I was above the hole, that the, the corner hole that's made there. And I just, I do some tap, tap, tap and then it's just like you you get that bulging swirl but it's out there 200 feet and i'm just like oh crap tough to get a hook set in it's yeah. very tough so i'm just like i i'm like okay and i reel and then i felt weight then i set the hook and magically i got hooks in it but now it's like 200 feet out there well mm-hmm. it gives me a lot of slack around and i look i'm like i gotta go right so I, I start running right. Like I'm actually, I moved at least a hundred plus feet to my right, which is kind of going upstream on the outside to where it was like shallower and muddy. Well, guess what? Didn't work out because it was like muck, muck, like up to your knees. Mm-hmm. That ain't going to mm-hmm. work. So then now I start going left to get on this like little perch ledge. That's right down at the base of where we were. It was a sheer cliff. So I went over 200 feet like a legit 200 feet to get this fish to land. And I got a really good photo of that fish. There was a little rock that I could sit on. It was flat and 
it's a community hall. I remember that photo. Yeah, and that was a nice fish. It was a very beautiful fish, and it was a bonus because I'm like last cast, and yeah. I, I zing it out there. But you know, I don't think that I had in my mind where was I going to go, but I did know there's mud over there. So I ad libbed, and I'm like, that didn't work. Come back over, and then you can land the fish. But like to your point, you can always find a spot. It might not be the best spot but you can find a spot that's better than the rest. So if mm-hmm. it's like broken glass everywhere and there's a spot that's like cinder blocks, well, guess what? I say maybe go to the cinder blocks instead of the broken glass. Yeah. And, and maybe, you know, <laughs> clean the fish off before you take a photo of it. Yeah. And I'm, no one will, no one will yell at you. Well, even then, you know, it's one of those bad advice post every fish photo um next so along those lines there's a lot of times that i i you know i carry a boga with me now because here's my good advice now that could be bad advice that could be very bad advice but here's good advice i have a carabiner on some some rope some thin rope whatever 100 pound nylon rope or something it's thin it's like eighth inch or something i will go get the fish to where it's restraint, like due to water levels, or I reach down and snap it on. I snap it on its jaw. It's tethered to my belt or belt loop, whatever. It's tethered to me. Mm-hmm. At that point, I caught that fish. So I always keep light tension on that. I free spool. I go and get my tools, and then I can put it like like what Todd says. You put a little bit of weight on that bottom jaw in the water. They tend to straighten up. It's like raising your voice a little bit to the kids. It's just like, okay, straightens up enough. You can get that get that bait undone. And there's times the first thing I do is take, unsnap the bait. Get that second string out of there. So undo and this the, is this is uh do you do this on on the lake and on the bank? Just on the bank. Just on the bank at, at times, like if this fish is just being unruly and I can get to the snap, I will unsnap the bait and then I'll take the rod and set it off to the side. It's already attached to me. It's still in the water on the boga, but now I'm not mm-hmm. dealing with if the fish gator rolls, it actually mm-hmm. twisting two lines together because Very solid. So then now I got a bait that's halfway loose. I can then take my baker hookouts grab onto a hook on that thing and just start, you know, grab onto the, the, a free hook onto that just to keep kind of like, this is where this is at. I can start snap snipping hooks and sometimes just start cutting split rings. Ah, yes. You love to do that because you cut a split ring. Well, my three hook stinger now turns down to, well, I got two hooks still on this thing, throw it up next to the rod. Mm-hmm. Now I'm dealing with, okay, you have one treble hook in your mouth somewhere. I will gill you. Gill them, and I don't have to pick them straight up out of the water vertically. You can hold them there at a reasonable height if you're kneeling or whatever you're at. Now you work on a single hook that you have no threat of jamming the hook in your hands. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like my thing is you could have a net there and then perform operations and stuff, but the the swinging of the net in some of these spots is just horrible advice to bring one. There's absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it, it comes down to where you're going to bank yank from, but just that advice of, Hey, I'm fishing from the bank. You need a net. I think that's bad advice just in, in general. And, uh, you know, along, along the lines of other things. So, you know, I'm going to say for the most part, a lot of river spots, the, the secrets out, People can catch these fish from the bank. It's it's no secret anymore, especially especially in the the early season. You know, mm-hmm. you see it all the time. Uh, you know, post after post of 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 the fish being caught off the bank. You know, and uh, because because of social media, yes, yeah, the the, the secret is out. So um, here's more bad advice on the net bank yanking. If you don't want people fishing your spots that are easily seen from roadways, 
don't carry around the giant net. Whether you've never caught a fish bank yanking in your life and you're just trying out spots or you catch 100,000 of them a year doing this, when you're carrying around that net, they don't even have to know that if you're good or not at musky fishing. Anyone that sees a giant net, anybody, you could take the most city person in the world that's never seen a tree, and they're like, wow, that's a big net. Big nets equal small fish or big fish. Mm -hmm. You can add pressure to your spots just by displaying your net. But if you're there with a fishing rod, there's a if you're doing 60 miles an hour, it's going to be hard for someone to say, oh, you got a fishing rod. They're not going to mm-hmm. be able to say, is that a catfish rod? Is that a bass rod? Is that a walleye? Or are you just fishing for fish? Yeah. This pertains big in the river, you know. Yeah, there's not big a lot time. of bank yanking the, on the lakes. No, I could see it happening mm-hmm. in in our, where we live. And... Um, you know, even going down into the Virginias and things like that. Yeah. You know, that, that's a, that's a good, that's, that's bad advice turned good advice. Mm-hmm. But okay. I'm going to, I'm going to leave the, that topic a little bit of a rest for right now. Yeah. We'll leave it for a rest. Uh, but the, uh, yeah, the terminal tackle for, for the bank is just it's a difficult thing. But the, a positive out of that is whether you're on the bank or whether you're in a boat, you always got to think, how am I going to land this fish? How am I going to get it cleanly, you know, back into the water? That's bad advice turned good advice. I remember thinking about that when I first started musky fishing, you know. And if I would have like three trolling lines out, I'd be like, uh... Okay, so what happens if I do get one on? Like, what am I going to do with these other rods? How am I going to net this thing? You know, just all those intangibles. It's it's uh, it's a great idea to be prepared and play it out in your mind of how am I going to release this fish? How are you gonna? It, yeah, how are you gonna get it? Yeah, I always. You know, when I take people out on the charters and uh, whether casting or trolling, I'll, I'll, I'll always brief them on how I think it's going to play out. And it generally doesn't play out that way when, when the fish gets on. Hey, if a fish hits a planer board, I'm going to clear the rod in front of them. Uh, you know, you're out rod and you're down rod. So you'll have a nice place to fight the fish. And it generally never happens that way. You know, it's, it's always, so I just like to say it, I know they're like barely paying attention and sometimes I just, you know, you just wing it every time. It's, it's different every time. So uh, kind of along that same, same story, one of the first trolling muskies ever entered my boat. This man, I'm, I'm digging up a lot of old memories on this show. So we were at a, a local lake that's known for a high density of muskies, but a very low length, <laughs> let's just say, a whole yeah. bunch of little fish. And I was fishing with, with my one friend. He was a, He's a big bass guy, and that's kind of like what we would go down for when I was more multi-species trying to transition into muskies. But all I had was a bass fishing friend, so it's, it's, you tend to just fish bass. You fish musky gear and bass stuff. In the bass Absolutely. areas. Mm-hmm. Well, this was my 14-foot boat. And I had some really awful rod holders. Terrible rod holders. And we got done. And it's a horsepower-restricted lake. And we were going to have to go slow. And it's, it's a pretty big lake for being horsepower-restricted. And I just remember hearing people talk. And this is early on in like my actual like learning how to fish not farm pond career. I'm like, I got these hot and tots. I'm like, do you want to troll back to the boat launch? And he kind of gave like troll. That's, that's not fishing, you know, just whatever. You know, just like very, I don't want to say snobbish, but a, a looking down attitude on trolling. 
And I'm like, well, we got a long way to go. So I threw out like four rods. I had Hottentots out there and amongst other things. I can't even remember, but it was a gold Hottentot. We're going along. I mean, we're not 100 yards in it. And he was, apparently he was setting himself up as if this is what trolling anglers do. He was leaning back in his seat and he put his feet up on the gunnel because he was getting ready because that's how you, that's fishing when you're trolling is you just yeah. sit back and relax. Eat a sandwich. Pretty much. Yeah. And we're going along. I got these rods set. I think I had four rods out. And that, that at the time, it was, I call it the boat rod. I, I think I had little planer boards out. I, I It's an old memory. And that rod just lit up. Now, when it lit up, I was using bass rods. Like, because I had like a musky rod and a bass rod. And he lots was using of bend. lots of bend. And that thing just started bending. There's no clicker on him. And I'm like, hey, we got a fish. And he's just like about falling out of his chair and stuff. And, you know, I let him get the fish and he was reeling. And because I was just like hot and tots, there's walleye in this lake. We might catch a walleye, you know, thinking, well, I never really planned for a muskie. Well, all of a sudden, like halfway when this fish is coming in, the other rod, another rod goes off. And I'm like, holy crap, we got, I'm like thinking I'm a god now. <laughs> and I'm like, I know what I'm doing from now on. And then like another rod goes off. Oh well, my God, you're snagged as hell. He brings that fish in and there's just hooks all through it. Um, so it was one fish. It was one lines. fish that took the one in its mouth and two in the side. Okay, that was bad advice, was not anticipating anything would happen, being completely ill-prepared. And I ended up just cutting so much line off because this fish was, it looked like it had fishnet stockings on it. It was just sinking into the scales and stuff because he kept rolling. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's bad bad advice. Don't think you're going to catch one. Don't think you're going to catch one and, you know, kind of be like, hey, I know you're relaxing if you're not into trolling, but this could happen. You know, a little positive energy could do something. And then, you know, maybe perhaps when he was reeling in a little bit more control and not letting the fish go left and right so much, that Mm -hmm. could have helped. Yeah. Um, a lot of things I could have done different. Now the fish swam away. Did it die? I don't think so. If it did at this point in life, I don't care. Um, Blasphemy. I know, but I don't, it's, it's just pay attention, expect things to happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you, if you're not, if you're not, uh, reeling in and checking and up all the time when you're trolling, then you're not trolling. You're not fishing. I always say that all the time. You know, it's, it's the science. You have to check, you have to change, you have to do a ton of stuff. It's not just set lines out and go. If you're not moving and reeling in, you're not doing it correctly. Yeah. Big, much, 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 much harder. And casting. Yeah. I feel it all the time when I have to troll. I mean, you're going to get crap for that saying that, but I'll be honest. I I mean, most people are not prepared to do the hustle that it takes to keep six six rods going. Mm -hmm. Six or eight, whatever it is. Six six is just a good standard. Six is a good standard. If you're not, if you're not, up and at them and doing all that stuff, then you're not, you're not trolling. You know, it's not, you're not fishing. Now, let me ask you this. What um, about in the one rod areas? Like I know Canada and I think Minnesota's one rod a person. How about then? It, well, I feel a little laxed too, because I'm usually running those, uh, cheating project X's, but that is a very lax time for me when I have one out, but I still 
have the mentality of um, of moving around because when you have one rod per fisherman or fisherwoman, you can get even more surgeon like, like a scalpel in some areas. So, you know, like when Todd and I would do the PMTT and we would go in those shallows, he would drive and I would work the rods and I would be back there the entire time tipping and tipping and tipping and tipping, watching the depth finder five feet tip up. Seven feet tip back down, 10 feet tip all the way down, things like that. So in those one rod areas, uh, you can, you should still be active on your boat. Um, and that's why I like those one rod areas. You can get really tactical with it. Um, when, when, when you're doing that, because, you can kind of get it, you know, I'm not going to go into this area if I have six rods out as compared to two, uh, because I can't put that whole spread in there. But if I only have two or one or whatever it is, I can get back into these areas and kind of be more aggressive. Um, and uh, so it's still that mentality of setting rods out when you're really a troller or a fish, I just a fisherman, you know, uh, I, I still think you work at it. It's really, really exciting to just have one or two rods out because you can, you know, like I said, you can be more, uh, decisive with your stuff. You know, you could, you can really get in there and be, uh, dissect some things. So I, I, I think, if you're trolling, you got to be moving, you got to be changing, you got to be reeling in, regardless if it's one rod or six. Yeah, I, I kind of want to wrap. I, I like what you were saying there, so I want to almost rephrase it in in less words, saying that if in you something could, coherent. It, <laughs> if you if you in a state that you can run multiple rods, um. You always have something to do. Check lines, change baits, change uh, bait positions, depths, whatever. There's always something to do, whether you have two rods a person out or three rods a person. And when you see a person just running one rod a person or maybe two rods on, on a boat, like if you were just one person all by yourself, the lack of the necessity to have to check the rods as often because instead of six rods, you have two to worry about should your efforts should be redirected to being more efficient with trying to sneak it in tight to places, go where the six rod guys can't go. And that's going to be more effort put on boat control and relying on electronics with still checking baits in the mix. So, there's always something to do, whether you're running one rod or you're running a boat that has 12 out there. Mm -hmm. And the more active you are doing that throughout the season, you're going to get more fish. Maybe not that day, but throughout the season, the people that are more active going with that approach are going to put more fish in the boat. 100%. I hope I try to wrap that one up nice. So I mean, you wrapped it up nice. I obviously explained it terribly. No, you explained it really well. I just wanted to kind of like, okay, everyone heard that. Now let's condense it. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what the people love you for. Yes, the, I get letters every day. Oh yes, 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 yes. But yeah, that's uh, that's uh, once that's like part of you when you learn to troll and stuff like that. There is no relaxing. You want to push the envelope with things. Mm-hmm. Whether it's one or two rods, you know, or, or six or eight, you know, that's, that's, that's the cool, cool thing about it. And there's times on Chautauqua when I'll pull, uh, uh, I would say, uh, planar board rods and just run, you know, four, or if I was by myself, three or two, whatever it is. And there's sometimes when I do that and it works to my advantage, uh, and I, and I catch more fish that way. 
Um, and it's, and it's just because of things that are going on the water, on the water that time of day, you know, maybe there's a lot of weeds and you think, well, if I have eight out, I better my chances, but am I being more efficient by having eight rods out and having to check them all the time because of weeds and structure, uh, if you're if spending went, more time jacking around with fouled up rods, it might just be better to go reduce the number of rods and have more quality time on those rods. Absolutely. Yeah. And when I downsize, I still am active with it. And, um, and I take that mentality of, okay, now I'm more efficient and, uh, running cleaner and uh, presenting the bait to the fish uh, better that way, even with less rod. So um, if you're a troller, you understand. Um, if you're a fisherman, you understand. Uh, that's it's neat stuff. Man, we didn't really focus too much on the uh, bad advice that we did. Bad advice. I mean, bad advice turned good advice, you know, but... I mean, I, we couldn't just sit here and be like, hey, you know, it's a good idea. If you uh, buy a really expensive boat, you can't afford or, you know, you can't just say like, oh, yeah, dude, that's a good. That's a we have a idea. soundboard that's like womp, womp, bad advice. <laughs> you know, here's a good idea. Buy a 621 and or a bad idea. Buy a 621 Ranger and pull it with a Honda Civic. You know, you just, we wow, have to go. Wow. Yeah, you have to go in depth with it. Here's here's something <laughs> solid to hang your hat on. Be sure that you spend all this time you can in the out of doors so selfishly that you lose your wife and your home, and you never see your kids. <laughs> is that price is right i think that there's some of those those sound yeah like if you went over or something like you had the little yodeler fall off the cliff <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean we'll do this again it's bad advice turn Good advice by our opinion. I thought we were going to, I mean, we got serious for a second. I thought we were going to have a lot of dumb jokes, knee slap and stuff, but (laughs) it ended up being like, Hey guys, listen, learn from me. (laughs) Hey kid, take some advice. You don't want to end up. Hey kid, take my (laughs) advice. You don't want to step into a big pile of That was Limp Biscuit. It was. Yeah. <laughs> Hot dog flavored water chocolate starfish album or whatever it was. That was yeah. the best Mobile. album that he had too. Which oh, yeah. <laughs> Bad advice. Listen to that album. <laughs> that's just that's terrible advice. I would be willing to bet that a large segment of the people that listen to this show could sing half the songs from mm-hmm. that. Even mm-hmm. I keep rolling, rolling, rolling. What? <laughs> like, you're so bad. Arf, arf, arf. Oh, that's well. Roland came out, and, and then, then the remix with DMX. DMX. <laughs> Here's some bad advice: Don't be DMX. You know that's just. <laughs> I, I took, I took the uh, attorney the, that the, subpoenaed the him. Attorney that served him papers. <laughs> If I would have found out about that, I probably could not have controlled myself, but like loudly enough hummed and whistled tunes because sometimes, I mean, she might have known who he was, but there are times you're like, no, I've never heard of this. And and you're just up there like jamming in your head. Like I was a sophomore in high school when this came out. Oh my God. Incredible. I mean, DMX was like, Huge man, yeah, it was huge. I mean, we talk about that all the time, but there's just some things that we can't say on the podcast (laughs) to try and be PC. How are you going to explain that, Vance? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And that song was on the effing radio. That's 
It was crazy. Oh well, we're we're getting we're getting way we're okay. Getting way M- musky fishing talk is done. Let's yeah. uh let's wrap this up. So big thanks to Fat AZ Musky Products, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, Saint Croix Rods, Ranger Boats, Vicks Marine Sports Center, and Muskies Inc. All right, guys, thanks for putting up with us on this one. If you have any any topics you want to hear on bad advice or anything like that, I mean, heck, if you want good advice, we could give it to you, and it'd be horrible advice from some people. So uh, feel free mm-hmm. to hit us up on any of our social medias. Facebook and Instagram are the best, or you can uh, hop on the website, and there's contact information there. Um, we'll write these down. This This was fun. So, All right, big thanks. Good luck fishing.